uh, this game, the viewership was reported as, what is the economic impact of this game? One of the most prolific owners in the NBA, Mark Cuban, still a little brainstorming on behalf of the CFL, right? Yo, bro, okay. First of all, first of all, because you know, you had an exciting few weeks. So let's just get everybody caught up on what's been going on in the world of sports, specifically the CFL. Yeah, man, we just hosted Canada's largest sporting event, the Grey Cup Festival and the 110th Grey Cup in Hamilton. It was wild. I actually, I, it was so, it was like, it was a blur because we spent, depending on who you were, some people were spending time focused on this from five years ago when they're putting in the bid because it's kind of like, you know, in the Olympics, cities put in a bid and then there's a committee that votes and then they give a city an opportunity to host so obviously folks have been thinking about this since a long time ago before any of these plans came to uh fruition but for me like it's been about a, a year a strong nine months of planning um and then just to see it all unfold it was crazy man we had about 50 alumni pop up we had 42 events across two cities um thousands of students we had everything from a flag football tournament with all different kinds of teams from all over southern ontario inside of a um a, a active military training facility we built like a purpose-built 35-yard field it was dope uh we had there was a a shaggy concert that we had mr lova lova mr boom bostic hey. pop up they had um all kinds of stuff man but then there was a uh, the game it was the Montreal Alouettes versus the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And this was Winnipeg's fourth Grey Cup in a row. So they were the landslide favorite to win the game. Montreal had a rocky start to their season, but had won their last seven games heading into the playoffs and then including their first two playoff victories against the Hamilton Tiger Cats in Montreal. And then going into Toronto and beating the 16-2 and Argonauts, who had their best season uh, in recent history, defending Grey Cup champions, defeated them, forced seven turnovers, which was crazy, and then came into Tim Hortons Field uh, in front of a sellout crowd and beat the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on the last drive of the game. There was like a, a third down conversion that they made. It was like a a 35 yard bomb that they threw up and then with time expiring 13 seconds on the clock they threw a dart over the middle a touchdown to win the game it was sick it was outstanding it was one of the best football games i'd seen live in a long time i've seen hundreds um and i think the viewership reflected that so the great cup was uh, by all accounts it was successful but uh, this game, the viewership was reported at 3,576,000 people, which was up. And that was um 14.5% increase from the Grey Cup that happened in 2019, which was the next highest watched one of recent years. And I think that's just, there was a lot of hype around it. And I think yeah. there was a lot of buildup around the game. And also, I think it's because... Montreal, a team that they represent all of the French people in Canada, you know, they, they kind of, there's a rallying cry for all the folks who French is their first language in a bilingual uh, nation. So 
you know, the numbers were strong from Quebec too. I believe there was like 700,000 people that tuned in through RDS. Wow. Um, 750,000 people. So like 20% of the entire audience from across the country was watching from RDS, from Quebec. Um, so needless to say, that streak that they were on was pretty good uh, for a lot of reasons. And being on the business side of things, you start to look at things economically, right? Like um, it was cool to watch the economic impact report people. They were popping up at places. They're surveying people. They're asking fans, where did you come from? How much did you spend on travel? How much did you spend on your hotel? How much did you spend on food? On Like they they survey thousands of thousands of people. Um, they talk to the hotels. They talk to the restaurants and try and get a sense of what is the economic impact of this game on the city? Because then that data can be used by any number of people to try to persuade municipalities, provinces um, to put funds towards future events like this. And not mm -hmm. just only the Grey Cup, but, you know, when they have the 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 Pan Am games, when they have other major events like that, those are huge for the city because you have hundreds of volunteers. I think we had over 600 volunteers participate. Um, you have like people going to restaurants, you have people shopping. Um, and it was, it was cool, man, because to be a part of it from, as a player, that was one thing I'd gone to two great cups as a player, but this is the second time I participated in a great cup from the business side. And it was huge. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before. It was pretty cool to watch it, watch it all come together, but that's where I've been, bro. That's why we haven't had no episodes in the last two weeks. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I think it's it's a different perspective when you're looking at it from the business side too. I'm actually quite interested um when a team bids for the Grey Cup is the city uh paying for like paying the CFL to host to host the Grey Cup? The city and the province work together with the team that is making the bid because there is a substantial economic impact for the tourism of that city. So I believe there was a press release that came out. So none of this is like private information, mm -hmm. but um, I believe the province of Ontario had given a grant to the host organization to help uh, put on the show. So I think it was somewhere in the order of like a million or like $2 million. Uh, don't quote me, that they granted to our organization to help put on this show so that we could bring people into town and have them, you know, come experience Hamilton in all of its glory. Because you got to think the province or the city, they have a vested interest in bringing new people in from outside. They're importing dollars technically yeah. from all of these tourists, right? So they, um, it's a win, it's a win-win situation. I mean, somewhere in the neighborhood of i think in 2021 uh, that was coming out of the pandemic but the gray cup that we hosted then i think they reported the economic impact was somewhere in the neighborhood of like 70 or 80 60 70 80 million dollars or something like that in the city uh wow for like all of the different vendors combined the hotels the whatever so for them to invest one or two million and have the people who are their tax paying business owners you know, make 80 times that, make 40 times that, I think that's a good ROI from, yeah. uh, from a public dollar standpoint. 100%, 100%.
Holy, that's that's huge. That's huge. Uh, anytime that the city close, and you know, I'm a Tiger Cat fan, so you know, I love the Tiger Cats. I, I'll be I'll be visiting over there sometimes. You know, when I get mm-hmm. a chance. But mm-hmm. anytime you see a, a Grey Cup or even like the Super Bowl or the NBA Finals or any of these championship games, like these are huge opportunities for local businesses to like they could have put they could potentially make most of what they're going to make in terms of revenue that one weekend or that one week uh, from this one event. So it's definitely huge economically. Yeah. So look, I'm looking at these press releases here. Um, October 18, 2022, Saskatchewan's government Grey Cup funding grows to 4.5 million. And then another headline here is uh, province announces 3 million in funding for 2021 and 2023 uh great cup festival in hamilton so yeah they, they're putting up bread man and um it says here winnipeg wants to host a great cup championship and the the subline right here says uh manitoba estimates hosting the event would add 90 million to the economy and provide 8.2 million in provincial tax revenue so it is you know Money made the world go round. It doesn't yeah. matter if it's private money or public money, but it's in the interest of these cities and the provinces. If it was America, I'd assume the states and the, the towns are the same way. Yeah. But they want people to come experience the culture of their town. So they're going to put money up and they're going to make it back tenfold um, if the event is a success. I, I think it was safe to say that this event was a success. And the next Grey Cup is going to be in BC. They're already planning it. They're already advertising it. So... Mm-hmm. That's going to be next year, Great Cup 111. And I, I mentioned that there was uh, 3,576,000 people who tuned in and watched the game on TV. To put that in context, that's the championship game in Canada, a nation with 40 million people. The NCAA Final Four, that has about 14.7 million viewers, according to this uh, website, roadtrips.com. Uh, the World Series is the same area, about 14 million. The Masters, 15 million. Kentucky Derby, 16 million. Uh, NBA Finals, 17.8 million. Wimbledon, 25 million. Super Bowl, 115 million. UEFA Champions League, 450 million. Now we're going international. Uh, the Winter Olympics or the Winter Games, 2 billion. Summer Games, 2 billion. Women's World Cup, 2 billion viewers. Cricket World Cup, 2.6 billion. Tour de France, 3.5 billion. And of course, the biggest sport property of them all, the World Cup of Soccer, 5 billion viewers. I think I think there's a few people with more than one TV on, though. That's correct. 5 billion is literally every TV that could be on watching. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be a little bit of cat, bro. Yo. That's a little cat. No, I, know, I know guys. At, no, the office, sure. Even, at the office mm. who have their work laptop running yeah. a stream with their phone running a stream, bringing the iPad running a stream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even like sports bars, they got like eight games on. So yeah, true, true. That, but I mean, that's definitely a different, uh, that's a different ball game for sure. Yeah, it's directionally correct though. You know, the World Cup is as big as it gets. Yeah, it's the, it's the world, <laughs> literally. Touche. Yeah. All right, let's, let's switch it. Let's switch gears into some private equity. You know, mm. you know, mm. so, so there's public investment and then there's private investment. And 
one of the most prolific owners in the NBA, Mark Cuban, is putting up his majority stake in the Dallas Mavericks. He's selling it to the uh, Edelson family. Mm. Hopefully I said that right. The Edelson family. Uh, This is huge. This is huge because one, Mark Cuban bought this team in, I think, uh, 2000. Was it 2000 or 99? I think it was 2000 Mm -hmm. for $285 million. That team is now valued at $3.5 billion. So that's like what 12x, 10, 12x? Yeah, we're looking at about a we're looking at about a 12x there in terms of investment. 23 years. That's a huge, 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 huge return. Um, it's it's reported that the Edelson family is going to be investing about two billion dollars, which is going to give them a 57% stake in the team. So there's a there's a ton of rumors. Mm. Ton of rumors flying around right now on why Mark Cuban is um, selling the team. I have I have my own opinion, but I'm gonna share what the internet is saying. All right, so yeah, on Twitter. I mean, well, first of all, can we just can we just say Mark Cuban? I think has actually been one of the good owners because. Oh, yeah. All of the sales of these teams over the last few years, not all of them. Like, I don't think anything crazy happened when the Denver Broncos sold. I think somebody passed away or something like that. But, for example, Washington Commanders, when they sold, when the the owner of the Clippers changed hands. Yeah. um, The the Hornets just recently. Like, a lot of these teams have had scandal and mishaps that have led to... Um, that have been the catalyst in these teams changing hands. So I'd like to say, you know, Mark Cuban, not everybody loves him, but I think he's done a he's done decent job. He won a championship. He's had a competitive team almost every single year. They got they drafted Luka Doncic. So, you know, I gotta give him his flowers. But okay, go ahead and yeah. And and the good thing the, is he's still gonna be maintaining control of uh basketball operations. So he's not leaving the team, he's just selling. Uh, his majority stake. Now, I don't understand like the full private equity um, contract that none, you know, that hasn't been released yet. So we don't know, you know, is he, is he losing complete shares or is he just losing part of the shares? Uh, We don't know how many hands are in the pot, but from the rumors, some people are thinking that Mark Cuban is, he's bouncing out of the NBA, selling his, his stake because the bubble is about to pop. So, Back during the dot-com bubble, uh, Mark Cuban invented a streaming platform, a video streaming platform. And just before the bubble popped, then he had sold his company and made millions and millions and millions of hundreds of millions of dollars. I think I think he made like $5 billion selling broadcast.com to Yahoo. So billions of dollars. Yeah. So people are seeing... That actually, specifically, we'll we'll uh, I'll give them the source. Uh, Darth Ammon from Oddballs, he's saying that Mark Cuban is selling, and this is a red flag because the uh, broadcast rights are coming up next year, or they're coming up soon, and so he's saying that because of streaming. Uh, because of the the lack of interest, so for, uh, give you a quick example here. Amazon invested billions of dollars 
to stream Thursday night football. And that hasn't panned out. Uh, we don't know what we don't know about YouTube because they've invested billions of dollars too in order to stream NBA games. And we don't know if that has panned out. So people are, I guess, kind of scared saying that it hasn't panned out and the money is not going to be as much next year or the next media rights deal for the NBA. Do you believe that though? I don't think that is the truth at all. I don't think that is anywhere close to the truth. I think um, the NBA is becoming more and more popular. I think more people are tuning into the games. And I think that the media rights deals for the NBA are going to be higher than they were the last time. I don't think that they're going down. Yeah. And, and to be fair, I know that regional uh, television contracts are a dying thing, meaning that specifically in the United States, like if you're in a certain market, you can have a deal that's with that local market. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that's kind of a dying thing because it's hard for those local markets to compete. Um, but with so many options, and especially when you look at the NFL and you see how they've sliced up every single day of the week to have a different partner and a like people are bidding to get in the front of those eyeballs, yeah. man. I looked it up, the average NBA game, not not a championship game. The average NBA game is just under 1.6 million viewers. Each team is going to play 82 games, right? So that's a ton of viewers per team. Yeah. And with those celebrity star power of each of those guys that's running around on the court, I, I don't think that they're going to be discounting the eyeballs anytime soon. So I wouldn't put too much weight into that, that um, headline. Yeah. Um, you know, channels like ESPN. So ESPN owned by Disney, um, you know, uh, cable companies like ABC, uh, ESPN, Warner Brothers, you know, these guys need the content. And so the NBA knows that they have a monopoly on basketball within within the United States. They're not going to take a, a discount. So I don't believe in this. I don't believe in this uh, red flags on the media rights deals. I think the money's going to be strong. Uh, the next one is coming up in 2024, 2025, or at the end of 2024, 2025 season. That's when the, the this deal expires, which was for $24 billion. It's going up. I think it's going up. The number's going up. So is it a red flag? I don't think so. I think the NBA is in a very healthy spot monetarily in terms of how to monetize their product. They're in a very healthy spot. Mm -hmm. I think so too. And there's, there's bidders out there. There's options. Yeah, exactly. So next rumor, the next rumor is that Mark Cuban is trying to turn the arena into a multi-use arena, which means that he wants it to be not only just for being able to view basketball games and concerts, but there needs to be other use cases to drive revenue in for the organization. And there's something that has been getting legalized across all of America, and it's happening very quickly, and that is gambling. Mm. So the Edelson family has a huge, huge, huge um, casino 
they own a casino or something like that. And I'm I'm not sure if the casino is in in Dallas or in Texas, but this is a rumor that's going on right now that he is selling to this family in order to get closer to a family that owns a, a casino so that he can build a casino into the arena in Dallas, Texas, when it becomes legalized in Texas. That is a more plausible, that's a more plausible uh opinion or rumor because like Mark Cuban is a businessman. Mm-hmm. Now, most people understand, like, or I wouldn't say most people, because I actually only recently just learned this. Owning a sports team is not like cash flow generated. Like it's not like yo, you're printing cash. It's a it's a flex. It's a billion, it's a billionaire's flex. It's like you know, millionaires buy Rolls Royces and you know the most expensive watches, and billionaires buy shit that nobody else can get, <laughs> like a sports team. <laughs> so, they buy they buy a collection of their favorite players. Exactly, exactly. So Mark Cuban is a businessman, and he's been a very good businessman. Like he's made very good deals. Uh, yo, he's also leaving Shark Tank, so he's made deals on Shark Tank. So he's 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 leaving a lot of these uh, ventures that he's been a part of. And I think that's because he's going to do something else. Like most, he's only like 65 or something like that. Like most mm. of these guys aren't trying to retire and just ride off into the sunset. They love he's the got, hustle. Yeah, he does. And he's got that Rogaine, bro. He looks young. Yeah, right? So I think that is a, a better opinion. Now, my opinion is more leaning towards uh, this this rumor that he's in line with his family to build a casino. I don't mm. think Mark Cuban is getting out of the game. I think he loves the NBA. I think he loves being a part of the NBA. I think he's leveraging this opportunity to go to the next thing. He's been doing this for 23 years. He doesn't really need to like own the team. If he's still going to be managing the operations of the team, he's still going to be heavily involved in the success of the team. I think right now he's generating a ton of capital because he's about to do something extraordinary. And so we got to keep our binoculars on uh, Mr. Cuban, because he's going to do something great. He's done great things in the past. He's been able to read trends and read where uh, markets are going. So the next thing that he's going to do is is something to keep an eye on for sure. And if that's mm. in the gambling area, in this multi-use uh, arena, he's trying to tr- transform the Dallas Mavericks arena into, I don't, I, I don't know what the arena is called, but he's trying to transform this arena into a multi-use uh, arena i think that is a play that maybe future teams are going to start looking at and saying hey how do we generate more revenue uh into our team so maybe we can actually turn our not cash flow team into more of a cash flow team by offering different services offering different opportunities at our at our super expensive real estate yeah, and I think it's it's just basically you're you're extending the party, right? Because co-locating two businesses together is a it's a symbiotic relationship. You come for one, you go to the other. But when you go to a casino, a casino is far more profitable than anything else because the house always wins. You stay there long enough, they're gonna drain you, regardless of if you hit or not. The casino is always gonna come out on top. So it's kind of like the idea of having a hotel attached to a shopping mall. Like it's the convenience of being there is the reason why you visit and you patronize that place and you spend your money there. So having fans have a place that is directly accessible after a game, you go continue, keep the party going and go over to a casino. They're probably and also casinos have live entertainment. They have food. Um, So that's that's a 
very smart idea. You know, even in Canada, there's um, you know, the TD Place Stadium in in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. When they when they remodeled that joint, they had a, a street right behind there with like many restaurants. And this is like a small scale example of how that's effective. They got a lot of people excited about going to those games because it's a whole night out. After you go to the game, you can go right there and continue, you know, having fun with people for hours and hours because there's lots of places that you can go within walking distance right there. And if you're going to have if you're going to have a few adult beverages, you don't want to have to be getting in your car and relocating to a whole new other place. Right. So. Um, the convenience thing is kind of like why they put candy at the cash registers. Like you walk past, you might as well, you know. So um, I think that's smart. I think that's really smart. Yeah. And maybe that's the only way you could flip a couple billion is by getting into some type of infrastructure project, you know, because it, you already like growing a million dollars has to be a lot easier than growing a billion dollars. There's only so many places you could put a billion dollars if it isn't into some huge infrastructure project like expanding a stadium or building a casino. And so at that point in his career, when he's already done thousands of ventures, um, one lost different bets, he's probably got to take a swing. That's, you know, something that gets him out of bed in the morning. He's done literally every kind of business you could imagine. And for the record, I did just pull it up. The NBA and I think TV viewership in general is slightly declining when you're talking about linear, meaning just like through your TV, mm-hmm. like regular cable. It is it is diminishing slightly, I think, year over year. Um, but they said that TV ratings have been going down ever since the Jordan era um, because people don't watch primetime TV. They do more things. They go places. Um, but the NBA League Pass subscribers were up substantially from 21 to 22, and I believe they're up again from 22 to 23. So maybe there's a different trend in how people are consuming yeah. sports. And I think that may have something to do with what the the rumor you mentioned earlier was in that the NBA bubble is going to pop. I, I highly doubt that there's a I bubble that's going to pop because, man, these franchises they carry a lot of, they carry a lot of clout and um getting for example uh, a a partnership with a team is more than just showing up on broadcast you know mm-hmm. you think about the branding that's on the jerseys you think about the in stadium um you know signage and things of that nature the experiences you think about all of those kinds of extensions of the brand relationships that they have I I don't see it, man. I don't I don't see I don't see I a just, bubble popping. I just don't see how the NBA says, "Hey, okay, we're down five percent, so we're gonna give you guys a discount." No, the price is still gonna go up. They have a business to operate. They have revenue that they need to distribute to teams so that they can keep running their businesses. Um, at the end of the day, these broadcast networks they need the NBA because what else are they gonna put on TV? If you're not putting on the NBA games, what are you going to put on TV? There's only a handful of games that you could put on that people actually want to watch. You, I want to watch LeBron James do crazy stuff. I want to watch Steph Curry pull up half-court shots. That's what I want to see. I want to watch J- uh, Ja when he comes back dunking on mans. Like, I want to watch Anthony Edwards, Jokic. These are the guys that I want to see. I'm sorry. I don't want to see the guys that I don't know about. Nobody wants to see those guys. So... Mm-hmm. 
NFL, NBA, MLS. We've ne- we've mentioned these leagues before. Like some of these top leagues, especially in America, these cable companies need them because that's how they get eyeballs and that's how they sell ad revenue. So they're not going to they're not going to lose out on that. They don't they don't really have much leveraging power because the only way for them to stay afloat is to actually have these teams broadcast these sports teams so that they can make money. Yeah, what else comes on live TV except the news? And and shows that people don't care about. Yeah. Game game shows come on. Reality TV comes on. Yeah. But um yeah, I'm pretty sure you can watch Dancing with the Stars on Disney Plus. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Switching gears, switching gears. Yo, you got anything? I mean, I you know when we're talking about attendance and whatnot, um, you know, I I'm, I'm the CFL is at my heart forever. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at the CFL's attendance, and I feel like there's progress, but there's still a lot of work to do. Yeah. So so in 2023, before the championship game, the Toronto Argos were. This guy said in 2023, like we already left. This guy's ready for 2024. It's December. The the seasons are wrapped. It's done. Mail it in. Okay. So the Argos were the best team in the league and they were defending champions. They hosted a playoff game and they had their highest attendance of the year with 21,000, I believe. 23,000. Anyways, it was like 20,000 people. Okay. Yeah. And, and this that, is attendance in, in, in the stadium. In the, pl- in the playoff game. Okay. In the playoff game. game, which was like a huge deal for them. Mm-hmm. On average, though, their attendance game to game was 40, average 14,300 people, which was actually up 20% year over okay. year. And that's a lo- that was the lowest in the league in the country's biggest market. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, teams like Winnipeg were averaging 30,000. Winnipeg was a team who went to the Grey Cup four times in a row, but they, uh, they won two and then lost two. Mm-hmm. So that's Winnipeg, which is a smaller market. They also have the Winnipeg Jets. They have the Sea Bears from the CBL. Not, it's, it's a little bit of a uh, sports town, mm-hmm. but it's not like Toronto. Yeah. And then you you travel to like Hamilton, and Hamilton was was a different story. They had like I want to say we had like four sellout games, mm-hmm. and and we didn't even break five hundred this season. Like we did not have a winning season by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but we had a a high of attendance that was like twenty nine thousand or something like that at the Great Cup. Okay. Because the stadium's capacity had to be expanded to even hit 29,000. So some teams are like bumping up against their ceiling, yeah. like Hamilton, Winnipeg. Um, and then other teams are like trying to get up off of their floor. Yeah. And now when we talk about like the money that these teams are making, you compare that to something like the MLS. Okay. The MLS is much younger than the CFL. It has many more teams and each of those teams play more games. So if I'm a sponsor and I want to, you know, put money to work with an MLS team, that lowest average attendance in any MLS club was a Houston Dynamos 
and he ranked 29 out of 29 teams with 15,000, which is similar to the Argos, right? Yeah. What would you guess is the highest average attendance in uh, Major League Soccer? I'm going to say 80,000. That's ambitious. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean... 80,000, maybe for like a single game yeah. in Atlanta. In okay, Atlanta. average, average. Okay, yeah. let, uh, let me go 50. Yeah, just about 47,500 in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, like, that's significant difference because the stadium's capacity is bigger. And there's just, in their big markets, people just tend to go out there and watch. Yeah. You know? So, and then it translates into the dollars too, because obviously the highest paid players in the MLS are getting millions of dollars. There's a couple guys who have like eight figure contracts, high, yeah. high seven figure contracts. You don't really have those in the CFL. And it's a function of how many people are going to the games and the broadcast deals. Yeah. Right. So, and then here's another one just to throw some more stats in there for you. The NWSL is um, national women's soccer league. Yeah. Attendance there, okay. San Diego Wave SC, they had the highest average for the season, 20,000. The lowest, the 12th place team out of 12, 4,800. Now, you may be like, okay, makes sense. Like NWSL, it's not the biggest league, but here's the kicker NWSL just signed a new TV deal that is worth 240 million dollars over four years that's 60 million dollars a year yeah that's that's and that's that's up from what because i think i remember seeing like they were they were previously their tv deal was worth like 1.1.5 million dollars per year so they got a a major upgrade yes they got a they got a major upgrade so from 1.5 million dollars per year to 60 million dollars per year now you start thinking about the money that's going to flow back into those teams and what they're going to be able to do to market to get more people into the stadiums that four thousand. i mean who knows how they're running that company that uh that business that's the chicago red stars Mm -hmm. but you look at a team like for example um ol rain uh i believe they're from seattle they had this player named megan rapino she's one of the best international women's soccer players of all time one of the most decorated uh usa women's soccer players of all time at her final career game i believe the attendance was somewhere in a neighborhood of like thirty-four thousand people came to watch her final game yeah so like the the fans are there but it's just a matter now of of like any emerging league it's like, how do you spread the word to get people to know that there's an opportunity to watch this and to come out and attend? Yeah. And I think this this TV deal that they did, um, that's going to bring in an extra $60 million per year, I think that's going to actually pour a lot of gasoline on the fire. The question is, how does uh, a league like the CFL do something like that? Because the NWSL is expanding. In 2024, they're going to add two new teams, and they're going to go from 12 franchises to 14. The CFL has nine teams. Nine teams that we we don't know 
if they're ever going to be able to add a tenth, it's like each year at the at the Grey Cup Festival, they have a room that's for the Atlantic Schooners. It's a team that's been undefeated ever since because they've never played a game. It's just like a group of people who have their 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 hearts in it and they're yeah. dying for the, the CFL to bring a team to the Atlantic. But like, it's just a story of two diverging leagues. It's like the CFL who's trying to find a way to grow, but... Mm-hmm. The infrastructure to put down a football team is just like it's ridiculous. It's it's, yeah, it's a lot. A soccer club, you know, you only gotta be able easier. to bring five, ten thousand people together, and you gotta, yeah. you gotta think. So, um, interesting, interesting comparison when you're so comparing like NWSL and the CFL. Let's let's do something interesting. Let's do something interesting. Let's let's do a little uh, let's do a little brainstorming on behalf of the CFL. All right, mm-hmm. all right. We're, we're we've been given the reins to take over. They say, "Yo, Courtney, Jimmy, come through. Uh, we we need to we need to get some growth going in the CFL." I, I think let's let's identify the issues first. All right, the issues. One, football is it's becoming a harder sport to get into. They're, Elaborate. The youth aren't playing football as much. And Fam, I think, I, I, yes, that's facts. And you know, there's a number of reasons. We'll go on. I, yes, I'm about to are, snap, but go on. There are a number of reasons, but let's just identify some of the issues. Because uh, market-wise speaking, the older generation, you already got your fans. They're already diehards. They're already in. In order to grow, you need to get, you need to acquire new eyeballs. And the new eyeballs that you need to acquire are the youth. Mm-hmm. They're the youth and the women. Because yes. let's just be honest. Mm-hmm. Let's yep. just be honest. Traditional sports is not marketed towards women as if they are not fans of sports. That is 100% true. That is 100% true. So you need to acquire new eyeballs. So you need to target youth and women. That's number one. Number two, the CFL, it's not as sexy. It, it, they need to figure out a way to make players the face of the face of the league. I think that's an issue. The reason why I think that's an issue, I'll look at, I look at it like the NBA versus the NFL. The NFL, you you almost have to be a fan of a team because in most cases, unless you are a fan of a team, you're not going to know many of the players. Whereas in the NBA, I can be a fan of a player and I'm going to follow that player wherever they go. But in the CFL or NFL, you got to be a fan of a team. And so if your team's not doing well, maybe you're not watching as much. If your team hasn't been doing well for decades, maybe you're kind of falling off and you're like, yo, I'm I'm not as interested. But There's- I would I I would I would even argue though that in the NFL, you don't as much need to be a, a fan of a player. I think they do a great job of making these guys into superheroes. So you think about certain guys and you're like, yeah, Tyreek Hill is a monster. And in a lot of their marketing, you see him with no helmet on. You get to know what his face looks like. I think they're like. doing that recently, though. I think that's yeah, something and they're it's, pushing now and, and it's working. It's genius. It's so genius. The CFL got to do something. They got to do something. They got to start doing something similar. And, and here's another thing, too, that's big in the NFL that's been big for a long time that gets people familiar with individual players becoming fans of players fantasy football yep and that on steroids is just the sports betting stuff but i i truly believe like for for me i'm a fan of tampa bay buccaneers mm-hmm. because when i was younger i liked watching them uh they had warren sap ronde barber mike allstott Keyshawn johnson they had Derek brooks john lynch all those kind of guys i loved watching them 
But mm-hmm. now, I would say right now, I am a fan of players. In the NBA, I'm a Raptors fan because, you know, I grew up going and watching Vince Carter dunk on people. Yeah. And then I evolved to be a Raptors fan plus players. I like Shea Gildress Alexander. So by extension, sometimes I watch OKC. I like watching guys like Steph, you know, and then other players. I like watching the Kings because they got they got some cool guys over there. But it's it's really you're 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 nailing it. It's like the players have to be at the forefront of it because mm-hmm. that's who the the kids are following on Instagram and on TikTok. They follow oh, yeah. players. They're not necessarily following the team yes, per se. Yes, 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 yes. Yo, I'm trying to find this article that I read earlier and I just can't find it. But essentially what they were saying was that Gen Zs are more likely to be a fan of players and not teams. So they're more likely to follow players and, and follow them wherever team they go to, and they're less likely to be a fan of a team. So I think the CFL has to figure out a way to start highlighting their talent and putting them at the spotlight. I think that's going to be huge in order to acquire younger fans and possibly women too, to be like, yo, these are the my favorite uh, players mm-hmm. and I'm going to tune into their team because I want to see them perform. I think that's yeah. one way to to look at it. Yeah. There's the also a way? challenge with that though. Yeah. Go the ahead. Chal- the challenge is that in the CFL, the structure, the contracts are such that the longest contract is three years mm-hmm. and, and most contracts are two years after you're out of your rookie deal you can get one-year contracts. So like you come in on a rookie deal, you have to have at least a two-year contract. If you're Canadian, you're going to get a three-year contract. If you're American coming from the NFL, you're going to get a one plus one. That means one year plus one year. That's the team's option, which they'll always take if you're good. So it's a two-year contract. Once you get out of that two-year contract, then you're going to go to a one-year shot because you're like, yo, I'm trying to go back to the league. I'm trying to get paid. And if you're on one-year contracts, that doesn't give ample opportunity for people to plant their roots into a community and develop a fan base. So that's that's two competing forces. The individual who is trying to maximize their their value of their talent while they're still young, and then the organization saying, I want to hold on to you for a long time because a long-term investment is best for all of us. Mm-hmm. If you don't end up going back to the NFL, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it is... They got to, it's tough. I'm not going to say it's, it's easy. Hard. It's hard because players don't stick around like a Patrick Mahomes who's going to sign a 10-year deal. You know what I mean? Like, you're not getting that in the CFL. No. So th- that's definitely something that the CFL is going to have to iron out is how do we retain and keep talent? Um, mm. I think one thing we discussed in previous episodes with the U- with U Sports, be investing more in players and having more scholarships and giving players enough more opportunities to invest in their skills. Hopefully that trickles down into the CFL and, and, and players are more like, you know what? I want to stick around and play the game and invest in the game more because I didn't take on debt. I don't have to go get a job right away. I can pursue my, my professional career. I think hopefully as we do more things in the U sports to, to invest in talent that will trickle down into the CFL to retain talent and keep Canadians playing the sport and keeping the sport at a high quality. Cause I think you got to have an exciting game for people to tune in. And the CFL is very exciting. Like when you Mm -hmm. actually take it in, it's very exciting, but now it's how do we package that up Mm -hmm. 
and distribute it to the eyeballs that need to see it. Now, here's here's another thing. I don't think that the CFL has a good enough presence on social media. Mm. I think the way that they're running their social media campaigns right now is very like 2013. Like, we Yo, we're, you hold on. Moments. In, in 2013, were you, what social media were you on? Instagram had just popped up. Like, th- 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 were you there, on it? I was on Instagram 2013. Um, Twitter was Twitter was there. It wasn't the best, but it was, I was on it was Twitter. Uh, I was on Twitter in like it was, 2010, yeah. and yeah, I think yeah, I yeah. probably got on Instagram in like 14. Yeah, I was I was on Instagram. I was I remember being on Instagram because of the IG honeys. <laughs> and I knew I, I was I was a huge <laughs> IG honeys fan back in the university, but that's neither here or there. Uh, Instagram. Twitter, Facebook, these were pop, these are popular, uh, these are popular platforms. But I feel like the CFL is like, yo, we're on social media because like we gotta be on social media. And what they need to do is start creating narratives on social media and driving stories to their teams, to their players. Like they need to create drama and Mm. have it Mm. front and center on social media, TikTok. Wherever the young kids are hanging out, they need to create narratives and have it all over social media. Like every day, every week, there should be a viral story. I don't Yo. care if you made it up. I don't care mm. if you planted it. Just have viral stories. Mm. Hey, not maybe not even the viral stories, but you ever watch Good Morning Football or NFL Network at all? Yeah. I think that those roundtable type shows that fit in the midweek so that there's there's anticipation and hype building up Mm -hmm. to the game so you can the common fan becomes smarter and they learn what to look for so that they understand when to be excited like the diehard person i can tell you right now i know more about football than a lot of people are going to forget because it was my job to learn it for however many years yeah so if i see you know, a down block and an out block i know that the linebacker is going to run through and when they make a tackle for loss that gets me excited but the average person is going to be like, what the hell are you talking about? What is it yeah, down? 100%. What is it? What is it out? What is a run through? You know what I mean? What's a mm-hmm. TFL? So when you have people who can break that down in layman's terms and explain it slowly, because there's not another play about to happen in five seconds that they got to squeeze it in those kinds of shows. I feel like the real fans of sports love those. That's yeah. why I, I listen to basketball podcasts because I yeah. love basketball but I'm not a basketball genius. So when I hear people who are next level basketball IQ talking, I'm like, okay, DHO, that was DHO. Oh, dribble handoff. Okay. I I just, I leveled up today because Mm -hmm. I was learning from somebody else. Like we need to give CFL fans a chance to, if they want to, you need to provide somebody who can help them level up. And that's like that, that might be that drama you're talking about. Whereas midweek, I'm getting excited about, uh, you know, James Butler, the running back for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, because I didn't realize, but yo, this guy is a threat in the passing game. Let me tell you why. And then you're giving them storylines to tell, to explain why they're excited about the game. Yeah, 100%. Yo, I, I hugely agree with that because after the Great Cup, there was a journalist who was tweeting about one of the plays that was the, the, the touchdown, the, 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 the game, uh, the game winner. Mm. And he was breaking down that one of the linebackers, he said he was hobbled. He, I know this play. I saw this. (laughs) Yeah. He was like, yo, he was on his last breath. And my, my man responded and he said, appreciate it. Much respect. 
but that's not what happened. Exactly. <laughs> right. But yo, that is an opportunity for the CFL to jump in and say like, yo, people are actually interested because that tweet went viral for a CFL tweet. That tweet went viral in like in its own context. There was a lot of comments, a lot of people, but that was in a silo of that journalist's network. And that mm-hmm. never made it to a CFL network or a, mm-hmm. a, you know, TSN chat or the score or whatever. Like these are opportunities that the CFL is kind of leaving on the ground and saying like, there are people interested in these conversations yeah. and they're not picking them up. So mm-hmm. creating that narrative, creating those stories and, and streamlining it for fans to deeply be engaged. Like right now, bro, we're probably not going to hear much about the CFL until next season. Mm. Until a couple people start getting signed in February. Yeah. So like right now there should be like, yo, free agency talks. Who are some talents that from the NFL that might be coming to the CFL? Who are some talent from the NCAA U sports that might be coming to the CFL? Like these are just drama narratives that like, these are low hanging fruits that I feel like the CFL has got to pick up on and, start using that to generate more awareness for the sport and generate more content. Like we got to start, they got to start thinking like the entertainment side. Yo, but, but Jimmy, the, you, the sport, Jimmy, who is, who is the person who has the mastery of the subject matter, who has the means to produce the content and has the time freedom, meaning that they either get paid to do it or they get paid enough to do it in their spare time. Like that is the trifecta because unless they're direct, there's a direct investment in that type of entertaining content, there's a, a small subset of people who can produce that. And, and it has, yo, and if you look at those shows like good morning football, you look at all, all they're all ex players. They're, they're all ex players, except for a couple people who really, really know their stuff. Like, you know, like Mina Kimes. I hate when people talk about, oh, Mina Kimes never played football in her life. But if you listen to her break stuff down, like mm-hmm. she knows the game. So like 90% of the people, like a Tony Romo or yeah. like a, like a um, Michael Irvin mm-hmm. or whoever it might be, like there are guys who played, right? Yo, and- you need a Stephen A, a journalist who's deeply ingrained with sports, who can do the investigative research, who can drive the storylines. And then you need the analytics guys, the people that have the played Shannon the sport. Sharp. Yeah, the people that have played the sport, the people who understand the sport. And you marry those two together, you mm-hmm. got a show. Or Pat so, McAfee. So, Pat so, McAfee is a legend. Yo, 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 yo. If, if anybody's listening, which there are, and you're an ex-CFL player, a current CFL player, you love media, you love sports, here's an opportunity to make an impact and actually be a voice where there's like literally a whole void. There's there's literally a void right now. So you could actually say like, yo, I'm going to pick up this opportunity. And now maybe it's approaching different teams. Like, like I know the Hamilton Tiger Cats, you guys have breakdowns of, of each game. Mm-hmm. So before the game, so maybe there's a, a, a pre- on audio on audio on audio. So maybe there's a, there's an opportunity to do a video, to do a show, to have investments from all of the different teams and say, yo, listen, I'm going to break down all of your teams. We're going to start a YouTube channel or you're going to the CFL and you're saying, Hey, listen, invest X amount of dollars into this. We're going to create a CFL network of some sorts. There's opportunity here. And I think this is how you engage the youth because they love drama. 
Yeah. They you, love you, the storylines. They they love the storylines. I think I think the NBA used to be real reluctant to allow people to use their content until they realize that by giving content creators free reign to use their footage and then publish it to YouTube, they're just getting free marketing. Free so marketing. It's not it's not that people are monetizing your your assets, you know, without getting money from you. And you're worried about the $300 in YouTube ads that they're making off of your stuff. They're actually making your players more viral. They're mm -hmm. making your players seem cooler. They're making your players names known in households that otherwise, because we talked about it. Yes, there's a, a ton of viewers, but the younger viewer is watching on-demand stuff. They're watching mm -hmm. short, short versions of things. They're watching the highlight packs. They're, um, you know, getting bite-sized content. So allow them to consume your product in the way that is tastiest to mm -hmm. them. Mm. Yo, 100%. And you know who really pioneered this stuff? The NFL. Mm. The NFL with NFL Films. I was I was learning about this on Acquired. Listening into their, listen to their podcast and they broke down the NFL. NFL Films was literally a guy, like a guy, just like, just like a me, with a camera who loved to film his son play football. And so back in the days when they used to do these uh, these NFL, they weren't called NFL films at the time, but they were like, let's say a show on a game. They would like do like these corny movies on like on NFL games, like, oh, the this uh, this guy was like, he was so cool and blah, blah, blah. So this guy came, he's like, yo, listen, I want to do a real movie. I want to record the actual game. I want to do a documentary, like following players around. Let's get the storylines. Let's get the drama and put that into a real film. And then they made a film out of that. And it was like, yo, the best sports movie anyone, anyone had ever seen at the time. And that's what got the NFL st to start recording every single NFL game and following players around and getting their, 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 uh, their opinions, getting coaches opinions. That's what created NFL films. Fast forward into today, which is crazy because right now I feel like the NFL is kind of slipping on the on the content side because they're not understanding how social media works. Yo, uh, who was it? Was it uh, Tyreek Hill with the backflip? Mm. He did. Was it Tyreek Hill? He does backflips. He yeah, also Tyreke, does the peace thing. Yeah, so he did a backflip with one of the cameraman's uh, camera. He did a backflip. Oh, took the yeah, kid's yeah, camera, yeah, yeah, Did yeah. a backflip. He was suspended for that. Yes. Was he kid, suspended or fined? Oh, he was fined. Sorry. He was fined. The kid was fired or suspended. And Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. So that kid turned that into a viral clip. Everybody's going in on the NFL right now saying, yo, why would you do this? You guys posted it on your social media, but then deleted it and then fired the kid. Like, what's going on? But, yo, right there, that is a storyline. That is drama. That is more people tuning in and talking about the NFL, whether it's negative or positive. And the NFL is slipping a little bit. They're not taking advantage of the social media era. I think they're doing a couple cool things, but they're not fully taking advantage of it. And I, I mean, understand they I mean, want to control their image. They did max. They did freaking squeeze the life out of the Taylor Swift thing. So you can't say that they're not because yeah, you know what they did? They do that. They did. They, they did squeezed that. the life they, out they, of they, that. They, they made oh it so my. cringe now. Yeah, they did. So you know what? No, you gotta give them a little bit of credit because they do. They do, do their thing, and also like the season opening marketing. That was uh, that, that was they huge. had. They were playing off that of was the fact new. that the NFL was scripted. I thought that that was really, that was really funny. cool. That was hilarious. But I mean, 
there's just so many opportunities. I, I yeah. think it would be cool if, you know, the hard knocks thing, the behind the scenes, yeah. the, the giving, giving characters more depth, because that's what mm-hmm. you're really doing in the storyline of the season. I think at the CFL level, it would have to be something where all of the teams are in the same hard knocks. Because what you find is there's different levels of fandom from one team to the next. And if you could cross pollinate from one team to the next, then you get to build up each of those teams, not necessarily fan base, but their viewership Mm -hmm. and you get depth of the characters. And I feel like you got to start by dominating where you're at before you can expand too thin and go into all these brand new places. Like, yeah. If you're not really winning in your home market, you're not going to win anywhere. And I think the best way to, especially when you're trying to do things in a financially responsible way, is probably to, instead of deploying one crew to record a single team, it's like maybe just have one crew visit all of the teams and put together something that they can all amplify through their networks and then there's a, a a general benefit to the entire league as opposed to just a single team trying to go at it alone because there's synergy to working as a unit. Who knows, man? We're over here throwing spaghetti against yeah, the wall. So so recommendations, recommendations. Right. Let's let's wrap it up with some it's recommendations. A, it's a thought experiment, man. Yeah. But um, I think those are the ones. Mainly, mainly just you know think about the women and children, yeah. which people are obviously doing. But um, that's that's just. I think that's where the the opportunity lies, man. And getting kids to play any kind of football, not just tackle football, because tackle football is expensive for the kids. Yeah. It's expensive for the organizations. I got an email today. Somebody is from a high school talking about they got um, 30 helmets that they got to get recertified and it's going to cost them $15,000. Like, you know, that's just that's not a cost you have to deal with in flag football. Mm-hmm. You know, I bought, I bought, I bought a ton of flags, a ton of flags, and they're like $7 a pop, brand mm-hmm. new, branded, top of the line, best pop flags in the market that you could buy, <laughs> seven yeah. bucks, you know, so exactly, and they're $7, okay? So the accessibility of playing flag football is just, com- it's not even in the same ballpark mm-hmm. as tackle football, let alone, uh, you don't need as much space, you don't need as many people. And there's a lower risk of injury. So, I mean, get get kids playing flag football yeah, and then bring them to your stadium and let the pros put on a show. And I think that's that's the method. Yeah, 100 percent. I, I think you got it. You got to figure out the social media aspect, figure out the con. Noah, let me make that a little bit more. Um, more useful because they're on social media. I think you got to manufacture the storylines curate the drama, curate the storylines and distribute it on social media where Gen Z, where millennials who have purchasing power right now, you got to distribute those stories to them so that they are more invested in your teams, in your players, in your in your sport, in the entertainment of the sport. They're more invested because at the end of the day, you make money by ticket sales and broadcast rights. So you got to figure out how to increase both. Either you get people to come to the stadium or you get people tuning in to watch the game so you can invest those dollars back into the league and do other things with it. But at the end of the day, if you're not getting the interest, the awareness, 
then nobody's going to come. So I think you definitely have to manufacture that. They got to work on curating more stories on the players and, and manufacturing the drama. I don't care how you do it. (laughs) We we've known that play like leagues have created drama by like putting a rumor of a, a trade or putting a rumor of this person said this or whatever it might be. But that drama creates eyeballs, it creates impressions, and it gets people uh, tuning into your sport and, and getting more buy-in. We're just talking about it. Just Yeah, exactly. Topics of debate. And then, yo, honestly, yo, why don't we have sports betting on the CFL? We do. We do? Hell yeah, we do. <sighs> I didn't even know that. Hell, that's why I know I, I know you're not a degenerate. But, like, yeah, we, we, gotta, gotta, we gotta do whole courses on um, just, like, responsible gambling yeah stuff. we're not allowed to participate because i'm i work in the organization i can mm-hmm. work in the league but you 100 percent, bro you could take out you could do you could be done pro line for years you could take out prop bets you could do uh wow all them different things i don't really know because i don't be looking into it but yeah. i'm not really yeah i don't really do sports can, betting at oh, all you can bet baby you can bet you better believe it i wonder if it would would would, would fantasy work cfl fantasy i know that's like they have one, but it's watered down, bro. Mm. It's not like it's yeah. They got they got it. They're trying yeah. to do it. They're trying to do a thing, but you know the first the first thing you have to do is go meet people where they're at. Yeah, hundred you know? percent. And if your if your fan base is not educated, then they can't make great decisions. So on that, I feel like we've we've um you went a, in. You want driven a stake through that one. I think there was a little bit of passion there. Maybe there if we had some passion, if we had some passion, maybe we'd make a good podcast. <laughs> Yo, all right, man. I, hey, I'm I'm all tapped out now. That 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 drained me right there in terms of getting the juice out on that one because I want to <laughs> see the CFL win. So, so you do know? I. So do I. But yo, let's sit, let's um let's circle back and we'll hit another episode and give these people some more to talk about real soon. I, I think next time we gotta talk about this uh CONCACAF Champions Cup, which is coming up. The selection um of the tournament placement is happening on December 13th. And you know our Forge FC is gonna be in that thing. It's the same tournament that um Miami and Lionel Messi are gonna be in. So Ooh. I mean, that'll be a, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that. We'll talk more about that next time. All right, man. Hey, we'll see you guys on the next episode. Appreciate it. Peace. Peace.